Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, listeners, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know this episode has some strong language, some inappropriate words. Also, at one point, we talk about a suicide. Just a fair warning, but stick around. The Racial Draft episode. Yeah, the Racial Draft of the Chappelle Show. I have taught it so many times to my students because, I mean, it is, talk tribalism, right? It is such an absurd send-up of how people take credit for representation, right? So each group, the Blacks, the Asians, the Hispanics, the Whites are all trading at some reenactment of the NFL draft, and all the celebrities are up for trading, yeah. And in that instance, black people are literally like giving away Colin Powell and Condoleezza yeah, Rice yeah. to the white delegation. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. And I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is some of my best friends are. In this show, we wrestle with the challenges. And the absurdities. Of a deeply divided and unequal country. Oh, man. And boy, what a season it has been. This is our last episode. Yep, this is our last episode of the season. (laughs) And we talked about the challenges and the absurdities of our differences in this country. That's right. And we have covered everything. We have looked at life from the tennis court to To inside a prison. Prisons overseas (laughs) to... Jewish identity to uh, talking about Candyman, Candyman. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'll say it again. <laughs> slow down, slow down, slow down. We've talked about art. Yep, and and activism as well as 
being on vacation oh, and, man. and what that looks like at Martha's Vineyard. And all the while, we, of course, have tried to be funny along the way. But yeah. we will never, ever be as funny as some of the folks that we're going to talk about today. That's right. That's <laughs> right. We're actually going to talk about comedians and, yep. and, and comedy. Comedy takes us right up to the mirror of the insanities that we experience in life and shows us exactly what we're looking at. And, you know, comedy can go to the ugliest places and try to make fun of it and try to exploit it. And yep. it could go to also really, like, profound places. Yep. So so today's last episode of the season, we take on comedy. Let's do it. All right. And uh, I promise you that Khalil is going to be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Always. Khalil, from the time I was a little kid, you know, comedy has been such a central part of, you know, I think my sensibility, but of my life. You know, maybe I owe that to my brother in some way. I remember <laughs> getting like the Steve Martin comedy album. And yeah. then we listened to that album over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I had the same experience with my dad uh, playing old Richard Pryor albums. Yeah. And you know what? This tradition of comedy is the perfect art form for expressing the absurdities of this country we live in. And, yeah. you know, for Black comics in particular, I mean, I think about going back to Moms Mabley or or, or Red Fox, who oh you know, we didn't know as a stand-up comic, but, but of but course Sam, we knew him Sanford from... Sanford and Son. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. Joan Rivers, Wanda Sykes. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, we've already talked about Richard Pryor, but Eddie Murphy defining our generation. So, I mean, like, we came of age with this dude. Uh, and then, of course, Chris Rock and 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 the beat goes on. Yep, yep. You know, I like to think you know, there's tons of comedy that is just insult comedy, and it just tries to go to the easiest, most caricaturable aspect of other people. Right. But but there's a lot of comedy that that goes to the third rail of what's taboo because it's a way to to make most vivid those differences and, and our, our difficulties with them and to challenge our sensibilities, like it shakes us up. Right. But I think the point is that what makes those people stand out from the crowd is precisely that they are not just funny. They are funny about the things that are on our minds. They're funny about the things that make us uncomfortable about the world we live in. They're funny about uh, the things that some people want to say but cannot say. And they're also funny in the way that they demonstrate the vulnerabilities of people who are essentially victims in our society. And at, at their best, they give voice to those experiences, sometimes yeah. through humor, sometimes we're laughing at them in order to be in solidarity with them. And it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. There's a huge butt like slamming on the brakes right here. <laughs> That's because right. Because we're because we're about to talk about Dave Chappelle's most recent special on Netflix, The Closer, in which like it doesn't work. It's, it's like, a gigantic butt. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like that that time when it's it actually feels really offensive and it hurts. And like he goes to that third rail of taboo and gets electrocuted. Yeah. 
And and you know this controversy unfolded during our season of recording. And and the controversy is particularly around what he called the alphabet people, you know, in this really derogatory way to talk about the LGBTQ community. So here's why we decided to talk about Dave Chappelle and the controversy around The Closer, because basically in the last like 12, 13 minutes, he does uh, some of my best friends are kind of trope. I want your community to know that one of the coolest people I ever met was a transgender woman. And this is not a man that I knew that became a woman, this woman was trans when I met her. Lived in San Francisco. Daphne Dwarman is her name. Yo, I, I was I was watching that and I was like, he is literally saying, <laughs> yeah. I'm not transphobic. Some of my best friends are trans. Yeah. <laughs> it It is exactly why we did this show. And of course, we conceived of it, uh, as we've often said, uh, as the show opens, that people were like, yeah, some of my best friends are black. I'm not a racist. It could be, you know, anything that goes into that line that is meant to say, you can't say I'm part of the problem or you can't say that I've done a bigoted thing because I have this relationship with someone in the representative, minoritized, yeah. oppressed population. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've sort of been digging in on this all season about the importance of talking across lines of difference in an honest, authentic way. And the joke of our title is that, you know, we are best friends, but this is the like one of the most inauthentic ways to think about differences, to say, you know, I have license to say whatever the fuck I want because some of my best friends are, or I'm protected from any accusations of bias or bigotry because some of my best friends are that thing. So at the beginning of this Netflix special that Dave Chappelle just had, The Closer, he starts by saying, you know, I'm going to clear the air and this is going to be my, my last special. This is I'm going to say everything I need to say. All the questions you might have had about all these jokes I've said in the last few years, I hope to answer tonight. And I'd like to start by addressing the LBGTQ community directly. I mean, so we know pretty clearly that he's coming for a kind of fight. <laughs> and, and, and this is going to be the focus. While in previous specials, his dealing with homosexuality and transgender community uh, has been small parts. This is really going to be the brunt of what he talks about for this entire hour. Well, actually, I'd say not quite, because I think this is his last shot at essentially clearing the air and doubling down on a point he started with in the series. So he actually invites this reflection on the quote-unquote entire Netflix series, which he says in that quote we just heard. And I went back to the beginning. I went to Age of Spin because I was curious, he ha he having heard that line. And what are there? There's, there's six specials total? Th there's six of them uh, together. And it turns out that from the Age of Spin to this one and the the everyone in between, he's basically doing a six-part series on cancel culture. Yeah. And where this is really relevant to us, he's giving himself license to do so by evoking these relationships with people um, who are representative of communities that he's going to use his comedy uh, to critique uh, or to say they're doing something wrong. Um, and, and, and that moves towards, you know, some of my best friends are or some of my family are, in this case, his Filipino wife, who he describes in the first episode. You know, he makes this black and Asian joke uh, in, in that one. And he describes his wife as sort of the, the, the person who 
um, gives him license to do so. He talks about his wife's friend Stuart in in this first episode. That's right. Because that's right. Stuart I remember is that. gay, and he learns about gay people from Stuart. You see this pattern throughout the entire act, including claiming that he's feminist, where he says, I am a feminist because I Googled it and it can be any person who believes in equal rights of women. Then he makes this crazy comment about, you know, like my mother, my daughter, my sisters. I love these people. Of course, I care about them. Right, right. So I think it's really. That's some weak weak sauce. That's super weak sauce, right? Because every bigot that ever lived had a mom, right? (laughs) Every racist. (laughs) But also being like, I'm going to use the dictionary definition definition of something <laughs> like like if you're writing the paper or like you know speaking of the yeah. class it's like i looked yeah. this up in the dictionary right then you, sh- you should be canceled for that anyways that's cancel right. culture like right. like i i don't feel that any joke is off you know any subject is off limits for comedy like it's how you approach it um but that's i do right. i do feel that way about using the dictionary uh in that way that that's you should be canceled for that so I wanted to come back to that story he tells about, you know, his best friend, this this trans woman, Daphne. And his his so called best his friend. His so called best be friend. And, you know, it's a real right. it's a, it actually, you know, it's both very self promoting, like he talks about that he gave her a shot in comedy and that, you know, she laughs at all of his trans jokes. And she would be there, a white trans woman, laughing loud and hard at everything I said, especially the trans jokes. It's very puzzling. Because she was obviously trans. Uh, and then she defends him when there is criticisms. She goes against her tribe, uh, he says. He says. He right. says. Yes. And then she, you know, she's also attacked for defending Dave Chappelle. She kills herself. I mean, it's a, right. it's a devastating moment in this. You know, and this is also like actually Dave Chappelle's uh, amazing ability to tell stories as a storyteller, which is part of his comedy. But he comes out of this in this in this way that is is crazy and to me gets at what the some of my best friends trope is which is like you're really only seeing yourself it's being totally self-centered it is it is losing perspective because he comes out of this and he starts talking about both him and kevin hart and how they've been canceled and you know he says to take a man's livelihood away is akin to killing him stop punching down on my people and it's Mm -hmm. like what you know he's just talked about you know what it's like to be trans in a way that that you know uh this actually he hasn't talked he hasn't but but he's he's only he's only that's the thing he's only talked about daphne as a comedian he hasn't actually talked about her lived experience as a trans and yet she she killed herself like it's like in that story which is unexplored by him is the incredible difficulty of being a trans person of making this you know, transformation of yourself and then to live out in the world. And it, it's there without him touching it and without him. Well, sort but of, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He's so but, he's but then only his, using he's only using completely. her her death in, in the service of blaming the actual community of trans 100, actors 100%. that he's that he's written several uh, routines to critique throughout this entire series. But it, it, I agree. So, it's such a crazy moment to to contrast those thing, two things, to juxtapose her suicide and then him and Kevin Hart getting canceled. And in this show, in The Closer, there's no comedy here. It's like righteous vengeance, you know? And it, it's like the, some of <laughs> right. my best friends trope that he uses and that we've been talking about, you know, which feels like the antithesis that's right. of comedy. That's right. Like, and that's what this that's is all about. That's not on. funny. You know, it is, it is, 
It is using someone else to prove your own virtue. That's not funny. Yeah, no, I, I like that point about the, the trope of some of my best friends are being the antithesis of comedy because, you know, not only does he evoke Kevin Hart as a kind of act of solidarity as two black male celebrities who are now subjected to cancel culture. If you recall, he opens the first show talking about his envy for Kevin Hart because his son wants to go see Kevin mm -hmm. Hart and he has to go and buy a ticket and sit in the audience and he watches his son adore, adore him. I think the larger point you're making is that there's something about David Chappelle at this point in his career that is unlike we've seen in any other comic of his stature. He has turned himself into the victim upon whose victimhood is trying to be the social commentary yeah. for inequality, for yeah. discrimination. Yeah, so man, he actually saying, says at one yeah. point, I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about us and they don't listen. <laughs> right, and he's talking right. about, you know, and of course, you know, he is, he's talking about the trans mm -hmm, community mm -hmm. and he ain't listening at all. Yeah, he's literally turned this into a social commentary about Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Uh, and these other people are just foils for saying, you know, not only do I not want to be canceled, I don't deserve to be canceled, and neither do these other people. Yeah. Thinking about this right now as we're talking, um, one of the most clarifying aspects of what's wrong with Dave Chappelle's act in this way is that a lot of older comics, you know, the the Richard Pryors, the Eddie Murphys, you know, and many, many others would actually take the victimized group and show their victimization and the absurdity of how they're treated as the context for their comedy. And so there might still be all the, the vulgar language, the B words, the F words, the N words, and all of that, but kind of the social commentary embedded in it was the joke about the absurdity of how this oppressed population was actually being treated. And yeah. Dave doesn't do that. There is no point in which he acknowledges that trans people actually face the absurdities of their oppression. And that is the balance that one would expect. That's the balance of our show. That's how we take culture and unpack it and say, you know, here's an entry point into something that we're all observing, but it opens up into these structures that are often invisible to us and these power dynamics. And, um, and, and those invisible structures, those power dynamics, they're hilarious. <laughs> they're funny. Well, well, they're they're funny in 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 the kind of tragic comic way, right? But, so but I want to I want to I want to go back to the first thing you said because about cancel culture because yeah. because in all his examples, it's not about killing ordinary black people. The identities that he's thinking about, he he's focused on himself so much that it's about being both black and experiencing oppression, but being also a celebrity and being in, in danger of being canceled. And so he uses examples of other celebrities, black male celebrities. I mean, he talks explicitly about it being celebrity hunting season. Right. And there's, there's such an interesting idea of intersectionality that's going on here because, because he sort of defends himself off, you know, his, his premise is that, um, you know, I'm really talking about how, how black people are treated and I might be using trans people or, or gay people as the joke. And, and again, this is comedy. So the point here is I'm not passing moral judgment as a point to make, I'm making the point that his, he actually, in my opinion, is rejecting intersectionality. I'm saying like, look, 
Intersectionality means that you recognize multiple identities that people inhabit in their lives, that they can't separate the fact that one happens to be Black and happens to be a woman and may be gender nonconforming or might be trans, that all those things are embodied in a person. They might also be of immigrant background. And so you can imagine these identities multiply and our ability to see who they are based on what they want us to see, um, which can, can shift itself. Um, is being intersectional. It's recognizing that. Yeah. And the most powerful blind spot in uh, The Closer in particular, but I think all of uh, these Netflix shows, is his inability to see that Black people are also experiencing trans identities. Uh, they are experiencing being women. They yeah. they are experiencing you know other forms of otherness or d- difference. And it, he's basically got an axe to grind with white people no matter what their identities are. And they have intersectionality too, which he's not a- acknowledging. Yeah, Th- that is his range of, of humanity that he's identifying with here. Yeah, it's confusing. And I think this is why the series doesn't work um, in terms of social commentary that you know we would expect uh, to be achieved by someone of his uh, caliber, because your point is exactly right. He mentions Bill Cosby. He mentions L.J. Simpson. He mentions the baby. He mentions Kevin Hart. He basically built a series that would allow him to have a platform to say, you know, I think the work that these men accomplished, their legacies are more significant than the things they said or the mistakes they made. Yeah. Uh, he he has this line in Age of Spin where he says. You know, he he's telling a story about having met O.J. Simpson and his white agent uh, had asked him, you know, like, how could you shake hands with that murderer? And he says in the joke, with all due respect, that murderer ran for over 11,000 yards. See, that's that's a funny joke. <laughs> I mean, like, like because because it also it also shows our sensibilities that we actually value that. Like he is playing the buffoon in some way that we actually value sports over life in some form or that we're just like we're so distractible there's something really there is something that really is poignant about that small business owners this one's for you chase for business and iheart bring you a new podcast series called the unshakables this one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. 
AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, Khalil, so we've been talking about Dave Chappelle in The Closer, and, you know, he, he does this taboo thing about our differences, but we were talking about it as comedy that doesn't work as social commentary. But, but let's play a game, all right? All right, all right. All right, all right so, so we're going to pick three examples of comedy routines that we think work as social commentary and as comedy. Yeah, yeah. And and that actually helped us make sense of the world, right? That's I think that's that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, we'll see what happens. You go first. All right. Number one. So I picked this one because it's it's kind of a response to Dave Chappelle. And it it's Sarah Silverman. And it's from it's actually from like an Amnesty International fundraiser called The Secret Policeman's Ball in 2012. And she does this eight minute like comedy routine and it's just hmm. it just fucking I haven't kills. Seen this one. It just kills. I haven't seen it. And you know, Sarah Silverman's comedy, it does go to that dangerous place, and she's totally fucked up at times. Uh hmm. she got, you know, before cancel culture, she got in a lot of trouble for a blackface routine at one point. Um, And her comedy routine is to play sort of this innocent, but then to say the most like vulgar, surprising things. And Mm -hmm. uh, here is one where she's talking about uh, the gay community. And she begins by saying like, hey, I just went to this gay pride parade. And, you know, oh, my God, I had such a blast. (laughs) I had a blast. But I don't want people to label me as straight or as gay. You know, I just want people to look at me. You know, and, and, and see me as white. You know, I... <laughs> wow. It's funny. It's an echo in a way that, like, Dave Chappelle is actually making that very criticism uh, in that series about whiteness being the most dominant identity, no matter what these other people are experiencing. And she, she shows that, that people do this, but it's, it's actually really funny, right? Like, she is, she's performing ignorance, and yeah. and showing you know she's playing the buffoon in a way i mean she making yeah. herself the butt of the joke like is there a right. danger that people don't pick up that she's joking maybe right. but that's part yes. of the danger of this comedy right. um and i also picked this moment because then she goes in further and she actually does the some of my best friends are trope i can say that i totally used to go out with a guy who is half black who broke up with me because i'm a fucking loser and um I just heard myself say that. That is the most pessimistic thing. I have the worst attitude. He's half white, and he broke up with me. (laughs) No, she didn't. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. I mean, there's so many twists and complexities in that. You know, I I just heard myself. I'm so negative, and you think it's the thing that she said about herself, but it's about calling him half black. I mean, man. 
Yeah. She well, is that, in complete control. Yeah. I mean, again, I think I think the context of sort of opening with Dave Chappelle and his career at this moment, that's another example of being self-aware, right? And so she's putting herself not in the position of being the victim. Uh, yeah. She's putting herself in the position of being the the. The, butt the of victimizer. The joke. Yeah, <laughs> right. The yeah. butt of the joke. Yeah. yeah, no, that... yeah and, and that makes her the butt of the joke. Yeah. The layers of self-awareness she needs there. And, and I mean, talk about intersectionality is like she goes from her whiteness and her straightness, her sense of a woman. Uh, you know, all of these things are in play and she's sort of moving around between them in a way that you're not even sure where she's going to come out of it. It's great. It's really yeah. fantastic comedy. Yeah. So 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 I have an example from 1996. Uh oh, Chris. Chris. Good Rock's year. That was a good year. Controversial routine, one that that in many ways caught me at a moment in 1996. I had just started graduate school. God. I I was like learning everything for the first time about uh, race and racism. I was learning Black history that I hadn't been taught, and you know, you go through like this whole twelve stages of grief when this is happening to you mm. because you're feeling very angry, you're depressed, you're wondering why everyone doesn't know this and when they don't, you're really frustrated. And I say that to say when Chris Rock gave this routine in his 1996 stand up Bring the Pain. Man, that was just um, seminal moment. It was it was seminal yeah. moment, right? I mean, I remember just that when you saw that, it was like where were you when you saw it and I could remember exactly where I was. And I, yes, and I, I remember yeah. when I saw it, I was at home at my mom's um, for the summertime and, I, you know, I was home from grad school. And so the the routine is called Blacks versus N-Words. Mm. And you're, you're he, playing this on air. Oh, you, you're a, you are brave. <laughs> he, he, he basically opens up by yeah. saying that there's a lot of racism going on in the world right now. But who's more racist, white people or black people? And he says it's black people because black people hate everything that white people don't like about black people <laughs> and even more. It's like a civil war going on with black people. And here's the kicker, because the two sides are black people and N-words. Hey, I love black people, but I hate niggas, boy. Oh, I hate niggas. Boy, I wish they let me join the Ku Klux Klan. Shit, I do a drive-by from here to Brooklyn. God, man, I, I, Chris Rock, his voice, his skinny ass in a leather suit, like stomping the <laughs> stage, the way that he has to like, he's like a boxer before a fight, like the way that he has to work himself up into this energy, into this aggression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then his high pitched voice. Uh, I mean, th this skit as social commentary as just like diving right in. Yeah. Well, well, but see, here's the thing, like it's. It's, it's social commentary, yes. He doesn't put himself in the middle of it. In other words, it's not about him in, in the way that, you know, we've been critiquing Chappelle for this latest. But it is social commentary that made me really angry. Like, I got the jokes. I thought it was really funny, but I was so angry about it. And did, did you feel that at the time and think about it differently now? Well, no, I feel I kind of feel the same because, huh. uh, you know, I listened to it again. But I think for me, the point is that it was social commentary. 
But it was social commentary in the wrong direction. (laughs) It was social commentary that gave license to the crime bill of 1994. And that's what I meant by being a graduate student. So I was learning about systemic racism really for the first time. And I'm like, whoa, like, I get it, right? I've heard these same (laughs) jokes from like my cousin Marlon, who was hilarious, right? And and who had lots to say about, you know, brothers in the hood and and, yo, yo, rest rest in peace, Marlon. We love you. That's right. Rest in peace, cuz. But like when he says that books are like kryptonite to N-words because Mm. they don't read. (laughs) Or when he says that Black people are singing welfare carols, you know, like we wish you a merry welfare and a happy food stamp, which is a line that he has uh, in the skit. I mean, he is going, I mean, talk about Dave Chappelle talking about going all in. He is going all in. And do you think think he is playing... That, that he these are his beliefs or he is showing the extreme of, of beliefs that are also he's criticizing? Well, the 24-year-old me um, is, is not aware enough to appreciate his comedy, right? So part of, for me, was like understanding Chris Rock as I was growing up, as I was maturing, as I was trying to learn about the world. And so... I'm in a way kind of identifying with the younger activists who are upset with Dave Chappelle, because to me, this didn't translate. This just gave license to all the terrible yeah. policies that were happening in the world. And I I saw the humor in it, but I was like, it's not worth it. Right. And so I couldn't, no matter, no matter the humor, because I do agree it's a social commentary, and I actually agree it was funny. The consequences to me crossed a line. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he's he's basically saying like I'm worried about n words. And the, the interesting thing about this, like maybe people don't know this or they forgot it, but Chris Rock actually kind of answered for this uh, many times. And ten years later, in 2005, he told 60 Minutes that he he basically said, by the way, I've never done that joke again, and I probably never will. That's so interesting. Because, yeah, yeah, because some people thought that the racist things I was saying gave them license to use the N-word, and he's like, I'm done with that routine. All right, let's do one more, Khalil, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do the last one. We're going we're gonna to finish this game. Tell me what you got. Okay, so this is one that is like, I mean, groundbreaking for me. I mean, this is when I learned about white privilege, Uh-oh. helped me understand whiteness. Mm-hmm. I have never forgotten it. I've taught it to my students. It was when Eddie Murphy oh, did this, this comedy short on Saturday Night Live in 1984. <laughs> you know, this is Eddie Murphy post 48 hours. He's already a star. He, he's, he's wearing leather in the skit. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's oh essentially God. saying that there are still there is still a racial divide in America. There is still a black America and there is still a white America. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> and and he he says, so we need to understand this better. We need to get behind this. So he goes into a makeup room backstage at 30 Rock and he basically is turned into whiteface. So he, he he gets his white face. He comes out. He's wearing the tightest, like straightest gray suit, blue tie combo you could have. He's got this wig on that makes his hair look, you know, super straight and super corny. <laughs> could, could I interrupt he's, you for a second, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this was one of the things I picked, too. <laughs> I picked this one also. Yo, yo. Right, well, I picked this exact one. He's got the white well, mustache on. He looks oh my God, he looks right. he looks like he's from the zombie like apocalypse. The Ma- his white skin. Right, the Magnum PI white mustache, right? <laughs> this, this is this is so defining for us that, that oh independent of one another, out of all the world, 
we both picked this. It's called White Like Me. It's called White Like Me. Which That's is a right, play yeah. on this book from 1961 where a white journalist, called, it's called Black Like Me, puts on blackface and goes to the South to experience yeah, yeah. racial oppression. Right. And I and again, that's where the brilliance of social commentary comes into play, because talk about the absurdities that that are on view first in that book in 1961 and then later in what Eddie Murphy is doing in this skit. So there's three moments in this skit. The first one, when he leaves the studio, he hits Midtown Manhattan, Man. walks into a, like a newspaper, you know, like the, the classic newspaper shop where you all the newspapers are there next to the candy, you know, next to a few like apothecary items. Yep, man, I, and, I, I was going to talk about this exact moment. You know, and he, he goes up to the cashier who's white. They're in there alone, right? Let's, let's play the tape. What are you doing? I'm buying this newspaper. That's all right. There's nobody around. Go ahead, take it. Take it. Go ahead. Take it. Slowly I began to realize that when white people are alone, they give things to each other for free. <laughs> Man, I've thought about yeah. that moment a thousand times since seeing that skit. Oh my gosh, yeah. So <laughs> so the, the whole point of that skit, right, is to, to show black people how what we now call white privilege works, oh, man. right? Like like white people get free stuff that other black people pay for. Yeah. But to me, like this is yeah. this is where comedy is so incredible in pointing out how race and racism yeah. works. I mean, this is a, this, this is one of the this, greatest jokes about structural racism. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he he goes to a bank he to go, get a loan. He's sitting across the desk from the loan manager. It said yep. there's a there's a, a plaque that says loan manager, and the loan right. manager is black. That's right. And, and here's what happens. Now, let me get this straight, Mr. Uh, Mr. White. You'd like to borrow $50,000 from my bank, but you have no collateral. You have no credit. You don't even have any ID. Is that correct? That's right. <laughs> Mr. White, I'm sorry. This is not a charity. This is a business. Uh what a great moment to juxtapose a white guy getting a loan from a black loan officer and the loan officer following the 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 rules so following the, rule. <laughs> the credit rules like about 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 collateral he's like yeah you're you're not going to get a loan because you have nothing to put up and and this is a perfect moment for like that racial inversion we talked about in the 1980s right so like part of this moment is that black people are showing up in positions of power and it's a little bit it's touching a little bit of that sense of like reverse discrimination, right? Like, hey, the black guy's telling me I can't get a loan. Yeah. But then the joke goes even further. Because there's a, there's a white manager who walks in and sees what's going on. Harry, why don't you uh, take your break now? I'll take care of uh, Mr. White. And the guy's like, okay, thanks. Uh, you know, like, thanks for finishing <laughs> this for me. And then he <laughs> sits down with Mr. White. There's two white men in a room alone. That was a close but one. It was. <laughs> we don't have to bother with these formalities, do we, Mr. White? <laughs> what a silly Negro. <laughs> Just take what you want, Mr. White. Pay us back any time. Or don't. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean they're so, they're they're no, laughing he, together. 
He's handing he him, he's open, handing him stacks right, he, of money as, he, as he they're opens, laughing. Right. He, he <laughs> opens like, you know, a container of money and says, here, take what you want, have at it. I mean, so obviously in, in a time when black people were being subjected to systemic predatory lending practices, being denied credit when they had the credit that they, they actually needed to get loans, all of this ties into all the stuff we've talked about. I mean, it's just, it is just such an incredible send up yeah. uh, for pointing out the actual Actual structural racism. The way, the way that, that was the, the world, the world, the country is set up for you to succeed, and you yeah. know the things are stacked in your favor, and it's yeah. taking that, it's it's running with that in this hilarious way. Yep, yep, yeah. I love that you picked that. I love that we picked the same one. <laughs> Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. All right, Khalil, all of this talk about comedy has got me thinking about this entire season. And, you know, <laughs> some of my best friends are. And, you know, like basically what we've been doing of like trying to skirt this line between comedy and big ideas. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, you know, the, the whole idea is that, that you and I really are best friends and we're comfortable with one another. We're comfortable enough to talk across our differences and we might right. we might slip up and like touch that third rail sometimes. And I think I think part of having a genuine friendship 
is that the other person can call you on it. That's right. Yes. And and also that we see the the racism and the bigotry and the inequalities of the world. We tell stories about ourselves, but only to open up to these bigger questions. Yeah. And that's what comedy does. That's exactly that is exactly what comedy is supposed to do. But but I guess I'd also say like even when our sort of analysis is wrong and the other person calls us on it, like we're also comfortable with one another that we're willing to self-correct. We're willing to sort of like reassess and kind of grow, you know? Right. So you're saying that Dave Chappelle (laughs) may have gotten it wrong in Age of Spin, the first of those six-part series, but instead of ending with the closer, (laughs) like like, I am am closing by (laughs) recognizing... Just evolve. (laughs) I I am closing by recognizing that "Mm, maybe I went about this the wrong way. Yeah, man. He needs a best friend. And he also needs to be a best friend to somebody else. Right. And the, and the other thing I'm thinking about, you know, even if you have one friend who in, a, in the most genuine way tells you it's okay to do something, Hell doesn't necessarily make it right. Exactly. I mean, you know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Like, that's, yeah. I mean, like, so you better, you could, you better you have a lot, you better have a bigger <laughs> survey size than that. Like you better survey you more could, people than you, my one friend. Uh, And that's exactly why this show, you know, is about these big issues and trying to find the the way to understand them through through these lived experiences. Well, well, doing this show with you for this year has been amazing. I think we explored a lot of big ideas, but we also we also explored our friendship. Like I feel I feel like this has been like 400 hours of StoryCorps, man. So, you know, like that's that's what makes me feel even better about having done this with you. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keyshell Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Letal Malad and Mia LaBelle. Special thanks to all our guests this season and to everyone that's helped us with the show. That's right. Shout out, Shorty Ruff, to my mama. Man, and of course... You, call, you called her that she, you, she was like the Archie Bunker of the show, like we just referred. <laughs> and and of course, uh, so many others, including Stephanie and Danielle. But also just want to say quickly to all the comedians who've made us laugh about yes. you know our vulnerabilities and the mistakes we make and given us a chance to see ourselves ah, and to change our and, behavior. And, and made our lives a little brighter with laughter. At Pushkin... Thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, Julia Barton, Jason Gambrell, Maggie Taylor, Nicole Morano, Eric Sandler, Mary Beth Smith, Christina Sullivan, Brian Serbernick, Daniela Lacan, Royston Beserve, Maya Koenig, Sophie McKibben, Malcolm Gladwell, and Jacob Weisberg. Holy cow, we have this theme song, Little Lily, by Avery R. Young. We are so lucky that that's our theme song. It is just slamming. Like, that's our walk-up music every episode. Thank you. Thank you, Avery R. Young. You'll definitely want to check out his music at his website, AveryRYoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at Pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And if you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. And if you haven't signed up, please do, because Derricka Purnell, the author of a new book, Becoming Abolitionist, is our guest this week. Please check her out. And if you want to support our show, please give us a five-star review and tell some of your best friends about it. All your best friends. Lots lots of folks. (laughs) Everybody. So I was I was actually reading yesterday Eddie Glaude's book on uh, James mm-hmm. Baldwin. Begin again. Eddie Glaude is a Princeton professor. He wrote this book about James Baldwin. It's a really interesting book. It's 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 part history. It's part analysis of of Baldwin's writing and also a memoir about what it means to be political and what it mm-hmm. means to be black and political. Yeah, that's it. I just wanted to tell you I was reading that you book. You don't have any insight from the actual like, book? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like, I think if you just quote it, you sound smart. <laughs> the tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.